Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm your co-host, Carlos Toro, and joining me every single week is Robert Silva. Robert, we had a big weekend of boxing on Saturday, and uh, what are your thoughts heading uh, coming out of it? It was a really, really big week- weekend with a lot of big performances. Uh, you know, it was a lot of good boxing uh, this past weekend. Yeah, and uh, in my opinion, the three biggest stars coming out of that shined the most out of Saturday, and Carlos will, will give you a, a recap, and then I'll give my thoughts on each fight after he speaks about it. But in my opinion, the three uh, fighters that shined the most in no particular order were were Clarissa Shields, uh, Bam Rodriguez, who's now the youngest current world champion, and Jesus Ramos. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, you, you can definitely mention those. There, there's a lot of good names that had tremendous performances on Saturday. And so let's kind of work our way up. So Saturday essentially was a week, a Saturday of three major shows. One in in Wales, one in Las Vegas, and the other one in California, if I remember correctly. Uh, no, my busy, not California, Arizona. Arizona is the... Uh, the, the zone show where the where it took place. So let's work our way up. So over in the UK, it was a boxer promoted show. That's boxer with two X's. And in the main event, it was Chris Eubank Jr. versus Liam Williams over there in, over here in the United States. It was actually sold to us as a thirty dollar pay per view with the focus more on Clarissa Shield. She was the co main event. She fought Emma Cozen for the unified middleweight title. So we're going to raise up from that. So Clarissa Shields scored a very dominant victory over Emma Cozen. 190, I believe, across the board. She didn't lose a single round. Unless she didn't lose a single round on my book. She looked very impressive. It was a tremendous performance in her first fight since her first loss as a pro MMA fighter a while back. Back in the ring, she did look like she did not lose a step. In fact, there were moments in this fight where I thought she looked better than the last time we saw her back in the ring. And she was just simply fantastic. She was dominating the fight. She was moving very, very well. She hurt Emikosen pretty early in the fight. And then just, you know, attacked the body from that point onwards. And Kronik rode a very easy, very easy win it, she was so damn impressive. But the real story of that fight was really what happened afterwards. So, Clarissa Shields is unbeaten as a pro. The last time she had lost was in the amateurs to Savannah Marshall, who is the WBO middleweight champion. Clarissa Shields holds the WBA, IBF, and WBC middleweight titles. And so, those two have had a massive rivalry going all the way back to the amateurs and savannah was present at the fight against clarissa shields and it really she did not look impressed at all there was time late in the fight uh savannah marshall actually pretended to sort of those uh to be sleeping when the camera focused on her. I think it was like the eighth round or something like that, where Savannah would just, she looked at the camera and then she tilted her head to the side as if she was sleeping. 
Then after the fight, Clarissa was being interviewed on Sky Sports, and Savannah came in, kind of crashed the interview, and they those two had a real heated back and forth. It was very loud. It was very aggressive. There was no physical altercation, but it was a lot of verbal jabbing between the two women. And, you know, the plan for months has always been to have Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall face each other in a big, big grudge match. Would be one of the biggest women's fights, as far as pro level, one of the biggest women's fights in history. At least in my opinion. And we're getting closer and closer. Now, Savannah has a fight coming up in March. So, she does have to get that title defense against Fremke Hermans done before they can really talk about getting a fight with Clarissa Shields done. But overall, Clarissa looks very, very good. Technical uh, technical ability actually looked even better than usual. Her footwork looked great. Her stamina was, uh, I would say, probably even better because she had she basically had the same level of energy from round one all the way to round ten. This was the uh, just a phenomenal performance from Clarissa Shields. I don't know what are your thoughts, Robert. Let's get that Savannah Marshall Clarissa Shield fights done. Um, I'll be honest. I'm tired of the back and forth between these two. Get the fight done. All right, let's stop the bullshit. <laughs> I'm tired of fighters beefing at each other on social media and not fighting each other. Let's get it done. I don't want to hear anything from either fighter until they've signed to fight each other, period. Yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, I'm, the very least, it's, it, bore, it's boring. It's boring the hell out of me. I'm tired of it. Yeah, I, I can understand that sentiment. I really do. In the sense that I mean, how know, many years has this been going on? Like, come on, let's get the fight done. Let's stop the BS. Now, in in defense of this particular case, I mean, Savannah hasn't uh, has only had the WBO title for only for. I mean, she's held the title since 2010, but uh, since 2020. But the the pandemic kind of made making this fight a little bit harder, and only in and Clarissa was trying to become an undisputed champion at 154 pounds, so. I I think now... Yeah, but if she would have been offered the fight with Marshall, I think she would have left 154 alone. I mean, this is this is that fight that she's wanted forever to uh, gain revenge for her last loss as an amateur. Yeah, but still, I, I think now is the perfect opportunity. You can do this over the summer. I think it would make for a blockbuster fight. Doesn't matter where you put it, but I would say you probably do this in the UK. I mean... The, she did. Clarissa did sign with Boxer with the intent of fighting Savannah Marshall. So I think this will land in the UK. The main yeah, event. It only, it, it only makes sense. Go ahead. The main event of the show: Chris Eubank Jr. versus Liam Williams was a real test to see how good Chris Eubank Jr. really is. Well, Liam Williams is a very, very good contender, top 10 in the world right now. Probably you can argue even after losing to Chris Eubank Jr., but it was a real test to see how Eubank has progressed, especially now with Roy Jones Jr. in his team. And this was a very, very surprising fight to watch. Eubank scored three knockdowns in the first four rounds, just completely shocking everyone and then he didn't score the knockdowns with 
big overhand rights or massive power shots. He was essentially using the jab to sort of work his way into Liam Williams' chin and just constantly dropped him, and Williams really didn't have much of an answer early on. Liam just was... It was a very bizarre performance from Liam Williams, who spent the first half of the fight just kind of trying to move forward and press the action and trying to sort of be a bit of a buzzsaw towards Chris Eubank. But Eubank was agile. He was moving around the ring. He was jabbing extremely well. Then came the middle portion of the fight where Chris, for some ungodly reason, decided to kind of take the foot off the gas pedal, show both a little bit, kind of even trying to emulate some of Roy's mannerisms just a little bit. And it I wouldn't say it allowed Liam to get back into the fight, because I don't think Liam ever did. But Chris uh, didn't press the action as much as I would have loved him to. He did score a knockdown very late into the fight, another uh, a fourth knockdown. So ultimately wins the unanimous decision, dominated the fight, but it wasn't a complete performance but I would argue this was maybe the best fight out of Chris Eubank that I maybe have ever seen he looked very very good and if you take that Eubank from the first four rounds and the 11th round you can make a very good case that Eubank might even could stand a pretty good chance of beating a couple of these title holders at middleweight now again he needs to work on maybe not exactly Taking the foot off the gas pedal in the middle rounds right when his opponent is still dangerous. But this is still a very, very good performance. Chris Eubank looked very good. This, If you, if Chris Eubank was, was something you could buy or sell stock, I'd say buy stock into Chris Eubank Jr. Because he looked pretty darn good. Now, as far as him getting a fight with any of the other champions at middleweight, uh, you know, that's a completely different story. And... Doesn't look like he's getting any closer to a title fight anytime soon. But there's been talks about him potentially fighting Billy Joe Saunders in a rematch from their first fight several years ago where Saunders won. I don't know how good Saunders is right now coming out of the loss to Canelo with the eye injury. But I think it'll make for very, very good television. Eubank looked pretty darn good. It'll make for good television and it would be a you know, it would be a big box office draw out there in the UK. I'd go ahead and make that fight if I was Eubank's team. Yeah, and, and look, in Eubank, they uh, the fight against Liam Williams was, I believe, was shown on free TV or on Sky Sports free. You know, so not 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 being a pay per view uh, more specifically, did uh, apparently broke Sky Sports uh, boxing figures. Uh, where it peaked, I believe, at just over a million, averaged uh, about 553,000, if I remember correctly. And, you know, this has been so far a pretty successful venture for Boxer as far as viewership-wise, because it's been doing, pulling pretty good numbers over there in the UK. And and Eubank is still a very polarizing uh, character. And he's still a fighter at middleweight that, if we're being completely honest... We don't fully know what he's truly capable of. He beat Liam Williams, and that alone should ca- should silence any doubters who thought Eubank was no good. Because Liam Williams is a pretty good fighter. But I, I, I still don't know how good Eubank truly is up until, uh, until we know when he faces a guy like a Jamal Charla or a Demetrius Andrade or a Ryota Murata or a Triple G. Hey, you said... 
Hugh Pink is a polarizing figure. <laughs> no more. <laughs> 30 years ago, his father was a polarizing figure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still kind of polarizing, but not. I mean, Chris Eubank Sr. is one of the top five polarizing fighters in the history of boxing. So it, I, I just love how you use that term. The son following in the tradition of his father. Got the uh, got, got the polarizing factor of his father and is slowly taking in the mannerisms of Roy Jones Jr. inside the I, ring. I got I got to give uh, Eubank Jr. and Conor Ben credit. They are uh, capitalizing on their father's both of their father's popularities uh, uh, and getting a name of their own and getting their own popularity. So, man, you know what I would love to see mm-hmm. is, and I don't know if this could be done, a card where they're the co-main events and, and you have, uh, because their fathers had a heated rivalry, mm-hmm. the, the, the fathers both at ringside doing color commentary, you know, this is what boxing needs, stuff like that. Do a, a co-promotion with a co-main event with Nigel and, 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 and Nigel and Chris Sr. at ringside and then, you know, ripping into each other like they did 30 years ago. I would love to see that. Yeah, that'd be a fantastic. That'd be, I would be completely down for that. You know what I would do? I would, here's what I would do. Because Connor Ben's with Matrim with Eddie Hearn on the zone. Mm-hmm. I'd have... And I'd have Connor Ben. I, I go if I were Eddie. I go okay, boxer, Sky Sports. I will give you Connor Ben for one of your shows in exchange. You give me Chris Eubank and put, him, and you put him on, so I can put him on the zone, whether it be against Triple G or Dimitri Zandre. Right. Right. So right. I, I, I yeah. think that, I think that works out pretty well. That was. You know, because those the, the, those boys are, I mean, they're second generation, and a lot of their fans are older guys like myself, that guys my age in the UK that were huge fans of their fathers. So I I, I love to see it. the actual uh, second you and you have th- three guys in that area now, huge fan bases off their fathers, Chris Eubank. Senior, uh, Connor Ben and Tim Zhu, and you'll have news about Tim Zhu later on. So we, so that was the afternoon portion of the show. The evening portion of of uh, Saturday really was a uh, a two show night. The first one being a the zone card from Arizona between Jesse Bam Rodriguez and Carlos Quadros for the vacant WBC Super Flyweight title. This event took so many twists and turns. Originally, it was supposed to be Jesse Vargas versus Liam Smith. Then Jesse got kit with COVID, so that fight got postponed till April 30. Then it was Carlos Quadros versus the Rickasicket Sorum Visay for the vacant WBC Super Flyweight title. Then that got... Uh, Changed because Sarum Visai fell ill the week of the fight. Then it came Jesse Rodriguez, who I think many of us who had seen Bam Rodriguez fight, we saw, we believe he was not just an exceptional talent, but a generational talent. But he was going up against a top 10 guy at Super Flyweight, the weight class that he's never fought before, for a world title. And we were wondering... How does a guy like Jesse Rodriguez fare at this level in the sport? 
and as well as doing so on a week's notice. Turns out Jesse Bam Rodriguez fit in like a glove at the top of the 115-pound division because he looked phenomenal. He beat Carlos Cuadras by unanimous decision. Scored a knockdown midway through the fight with just a beautiful right uppercut mm-hmm. moving to uh, moving to his right. Just a fantastic shot right there. And Bam really outboxed and outworked Carlos Quadras for most of the fight. Quadras tried to make it a firefight, but but Bam Rodriguez utilized his you know fantastic footwork, creating angles for himself. Uh, it's funny because there were some people kind of calling it like almost Lomachenko-esque, the way he was moving around and creating these different windows where some fighters aren't able to do so because they're not quick enough or they're not smart enough to create those angles. And he and Robert Garcia, his trainer, did a phenomenal job working with what little time they had and creating a game plan of just not necessarily engaging in a full-on slugfest for 12 rounds, but knowing when to attack, know when to move, and just know when to just simply outsmart and outbox the veteran Quadras. And uh, this was... This fight essentially proved everything that we thought Bam Rodriguez was capable of. Now we've seen what he can do. And now the, the sky is the limit for him. He's got options in 115. He's the WBC champion there. He could easily move down to 112. We could go back to 108. There's a- now forget, for, forget 112 and 108. There's no money there. 115 is where he belongs. He can clean out that division because he's young fool. He's young enough and skillful enough. My bad. Young enough and skillful enough to beat uh, Juan Francisco Estrada, Chocolatito, and Sir Ring Versailles. Why don't you just run the gauntlet? Forget 112 and 108. That's in his rear view. He will dominate 115, in my opinion. He's that next super duper star below 118 pounds. It's time for the old guard to go to the Florida rest homes and let this young man dominate. Um, Quadras tried his best. He he couldn't deal with Rodriguez. Quadras has passed his prime. Chocolatito passed his prime. Estrada passed his prime. And so Riverside passed their prime. They've been in one too many wars. This is the new king of 115 pounds. And if they all fight him, they're all going to fall to Bam Rodriguez. Great job by Robert Garcia. And you have another brother duo as world champions in the sport of boxing. You're right, because Jesse Bam Rodriguez's brother is Joshua Franco, who is the WBA regular champ at 115. Uh, Mm -hmm. I say regular because he is technically not the top WBA champion. That that is Juan Francisco Estrada. And, man, this is such a... It's weird. Heading into the year... You could could uh, foreseeably see... Franco and Rodriguez having a Klitschko's brother grip on the 115-pound division like the Klitschko's had on the heavyweight division for several years. Uh, that's how good Ben Rodriguez is. Yeah, I know him and Franco are never going to fight each other, but they go ahead and fight the other guys the past their prime long in the tooth uh, trio. It's no longer it's no longer quadruplet because uh, Quadras goes back down to the bottom 
and he's going to have to bide his time if not retire. Uh, Quadras is, I don't ever see him again going back up to the heights that he was at. I mean, he looked a step slow, and Rodriguez hit him a ton. Hit him when he wanted to. Right, uh, There was no defense whatsoever uh, that uh, Carlos Quadras showed Saturday night. And you mentioned that he could potentially have a a grip on the division, him and Franco, for a very long time. Mm. I mean, look, it, there's a lot to sort of consider. We're not even con- pondering. We haven't even mentioned Julio Cesar Martinez because he's fighting Chocolatito next month. Who's to yeah. say Martinez uh, let, me, let, let, me ask, let me ask you a question. Uh, so Riverside had to uh, postpone this fight, had to pull out. Wouldn't that be the logical next opponent for uh, Rodriguez? I I think so. I think right yeah. now I think that should be the logical fight. I, at the very least, Oren Vasai, God bless him. He's but he's been waiting for so long to get another crack at the title, and he's he yeah. Assert- they don't because because the way I see it, and you you have better info than me with your sources. It should be Rodriguez versus Oren Vasai. That's a natural matchup because Oren Vasai was supposed to fight this past Saturday night. Rodriguez won against the guy he was supposed to fight, and. Uh, the Martinez Chocolatino winner should fight Juan Francisco Estrada since he had to pull out, and then hopefully, because the WBC wanted a, 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 a unification tournament, eventually everybody fight each other. The winners of those fights, whether it's Rodriguez or Chocolatino or Martinez, etc., fight each other at the end. There are so many different ways you can sort of play this. Uh, first of all, I like the the idea of Sorum Visai fighting Bam Rodriguez. Uh, the question is, you it, know, it how- only it only makes sense. I mean, they, they should be Rodriguez shouldn't fight anybody else next. Now, because but here's Sorum the problem: was Here, supposed to fight. Yeah, it's not necessarily okay. This is not necessarily a problem, but here's something to consider. I mean, obviously, getting Sorum Visai from Thailand to the United States is not exactly an easy thing, and there's always that risk that something's going to happen with Sorumvisite right before the fight, as we well, just clearly well, what saw. About, what about having it somewhere in, in Asia? Mm, I I don't know. I mean, Eddie's, ever, be, Eddie's never really done bad. promoting uh, there. Nobody's promoting in China. Oh, no one, that, has there been a card in China since the Wuhan outbreak? Yeah, yeah, there has. Yeah, okay. there's been there's been plenty. Nothing major, but yeah. Because right. remember how they used to make a big deal about chi- uh, Chinese cards because the Chinese government and promotions out there were paying a ton of money. Yeah, I, could, re- I, re- I remember Golden Boy had a uh, had a card in in China uh, a couple of years ago that you know they aired on on RingTV.com like in the er- like in, in the early hours of the dawn. And, and it's funny. It, I don't know. I don't know if Eddie would even consider it. I mean, I know in the back of Eddie's head, of uh, Eddie Hearn's head, he's had a. Um, I think he's had an idea of what to do when promoting a card in China, and it involves Jelai Zhang, the the heavyweight that he's signed. Who's to say that's not going to happen? Well, you could happen. have you could you could have him fight another tomato can. As the quote unquote main event with this as the chief uh the chief uh, uh secondary main event, co main event with the emphasis on television, the zone as all right, this is the fight that 
with that that they were marketing because the Chinese people are going to come out and see uh uh man that dude's a stiff they're going to see that cut their stiff countrymen with the co-main event being the one <laughs> that they sell to everybody else across the world on the zone hmm I don't know maybe maybe but, but that way you you could you could you could uh you could uh uh it'd be a, a right less of a, of a travel for some riverside but then you now but then you now yeah. have the other problem because now you have bam traveling outside the united states he's 22 years old he he'll be all right they'll they'll guard him and he'll be they'll probably put him in an armored bodysuit so he wouldn't get touched <laughs> until the night of the <laughs> but still okay but there're different yeah. ways you can do it and we don't yeah. know how what's going to be the future for bam rodriguez because he said he's going to Talk it over with his team. I think they're going to wait until after okay. Martinez versus Chocolatito right. is done. I think they're going to wait. He he shouldn't even bother with 112 and 108. There's nothing there for him. 115 is where the money is. He already proven that he could compete at 115, did not lose any of his power. His speed is incredible. Forget 112 and 108. Forget Why put your body through that? You already have proven to the world that you are an upper echelon, if not the best at 115. It makes no sense to go backwards right now. It monetarily makes no sense. And uh, for his physical stature and, and putting his body through cutting weight, it makes no sense. I'm going to give you a list of names for at 115, potential opponents for Bam Rodriguez. And you tell me off the top of your head, which of them does Bam Rodriguez uh I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it all, and then you tell me. Chocolatito, Jose Cesar Martinez, Casado Ioka, Juan Francisco Estrada, Jerwin Ancajas. And Sarum Desai. His toughest fight would be Ioka. Ioka is a tough motherfucker, and Ioka will bring his A game despite the fact of how he looked the last time he fought. Uh, but that being said. Gun to my head, Rodriguez beats them all. Uh, he ret- Chocolatito will retire in his corner and then retire after the fight. Estrada will be splattered ac- across the canvas. Ioka will be tough, a 12-round, uh, very close unanimous decision. And Cajas is a fraud. He knocks <laughs> on Cajas out. I don't know how I would. I, I think he beats the majority of them. Uh, I think to me the toughest fight is... Kazuya Yoka, I, I agree. Yes. After With that, yeah. after that, everybody else he beats. Everybody, Ioka is the only guy on that list that I think has a legit shot at beating Rodriguez. If you look at the history of boxing, when a man as talented and as young as Rodriguez goes to the top, you see he's got the goods. You see he has incredible ability. Once they get to the top. Of the division, not even the top, winning a world title, the old guys aren't beating him. If his head's on right and he's giving it a thousand percent, we know his head's on right. He's hungry and he's got one of the best traders in the world. I, I the only guy is Ioka, and Ioka shows some signs of slippage. His last fight, because you know Ioka's been in a bunch of big fights. Uh, he's he's the freshest out of all of them, the youngest, and in my opinion, the most skilled. 
So on the undercard of this show, nothing, not, not a whole ton of interesting, uh, not interesting, but not a whole ton of super noteworthy stuff. Jamie eventually dominates Carly Skelly, retains her WBA Bantamweight title. What the hell was that? <laughs> where, where did they find this uh, lady? Because she had no business in the ring. This was almost sanctioned murder on, tele- sanctioned murder on television. This was just bad. Mitchell just dropped Skelly twice. It was a complete mismatch from the very beginning. Fight what ends, was the referee doing? Fight what was the, he was just what? How many unnecessary shots did that young lady have to take before they stopped the fight? Late into the fourth round, Jamie Mitchell hurts Carly Skelly at the you know stuns her. Fight should have been stopped from there. Referee, yep. uh, the, the referee Wes Milton did an awful job oh, uh, of God. stopping the fight. Let. Mitchell score like seven, eight, nine uninterrupted shots that are just that probably two or three of them concussed Carly Skelly, then stops the fight. I mean, this was just uh, I don't want to say a massacre, but I mean, this was just so completely one sided, like from the very beginning of the fight. It was very contrast that, contrast that with Alicia Baumgartner's last fight in which. She staggers her opponent with one shot. She's out on her feet, and the referee stopped it right away. I mean, that was the perfect stoppage. Here, I don't know what the referee was doing. What she, This woman had already been beaten to a pulp, and seven to nine unanswered punches, that's criminal. Also on the undercard, Raymond Ford scores a very controversial split decision win over Edward Vasquez. 96 94, 97 93, and 98 92. The 96 94 card was the only one in favor of Vasquez. I don't throw around the word robbery. Carlos, Carlos, yeah. Carlos let me ask you a question because I only saw rounds 8, 9, and 10. Um, and I, I gave four, two of those three rounds. All three, all three rounds were tough to score. Uh, how did you have those three rounds scored, and what was your scorecard for the entire ten round fight? I was not scoring it round by round, but this fight screamed to me seven three eight to two Edward Vasquez at, at the absolute worst six four Edward Vasquez. Ford so what had- the hell were they watching? Ford had absolutely no business winning this fight. He looked like he took a massive step uh, step back. Vasquez just completely outworked him, outgunned him throughout the entire fight. You know things are bad when your own promoter says immediately after the fight, yeah, you did not win that fight. He told Chris Maddox he had Vasquez winning. Uh. You look at Ford's body language with the fight ended. He kind of slumped to his corner. Then I think somebody told him, hey, uh, get on the ropes and pretend you you think you won the fight. And he, he gets a split decision. <laughs> yeah, this, I feel bad for Vasquez because Vasquez absolutely deserved that. And, man, his, his now his perfect record is now now ha- has a blemish. It's not, He's now 11-1. Vasquez totally got robbed in this fight. Absolute chicanery. I don't know what the hell uh, referees uh, Rocky Taylor and Chris Wilson were, were watching. Rocky Taylor, 98-92 for Raymond Ford, was an absolute joke. It is one of the worst boxing cards I've ever I've seen in a very, very long time. It was simply atrocious to even think that Ford won the fight, much less so win eight of the ten rounds. Now, I get it, you know, 
before it came on strong just a little bit for, for the majority of the fight, Vasquez was dominating him. This was just like this really was a, a robbery. Vasquez deserved that deserved that one. And man, I also feel bad for all the people who bet on this fight because oh, this God. fight this fight had Vasquez when even heading into this fight before the first bell rang. This had Vasquez winning pulling the upset uh you know, looking real, real good. And now Vasquez loses his first fight in the pros. It's not even his fault. I don't know what the hell. Do you, do you think uh, Eddie will uh, order an immediate rematch uh, since he felt that uh, Vasquez won the fight in his comments after the fight? Do you think he puts these guys back in the ring? Because if a fight screamed immediate rematch, this fight does. The logical thing should be yes. Now, yeah. here's the thing. It, uh, it depends a little bit. If Raymond Four, if Eddie Herb wants to be like, all right, you know what? It's sink or swim time. You're fighting this guy again. If you lose, I'm cutting you loose. If not, I, I, that 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 would be the perfect scenario. And then you'll see how hungry Ford is because um, if Eddie Hearn drops him, yeah, he he'll get another promotional deal with top rank or PBC. But they he will get low balled. He will he will get low balled. He'd have to come in at a well uh, uh minimum wage <laughs> base some type of base salary. Uh, I'd make that. Uh, I, I like that. I like that suggestion. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they'll actually do it. Depends on what Eddie Hearn feels like. But you know, this this should get a rematch in my opinion. Because uh, now the uh, the last three fights, Raymond Ford is not. Has not shined, so uh, he needs to step up or step out. So that was the the zone card from Arizona. Now move on to the other card on Saturday: PBC on Fox and PBC on Fox pay per view. Keith Thurman versus Mario Barrios welterweight fight. It was a welterweight title eliminator. I don't know if, how how seriously we all uh, people <sighs> kind of took that, but regardless, Thurman won. First fight since he lost to Manny Pacquiao in July of 2019. Dominates Mario Barrios. It was not really super competitive for almost the entirety of it. There were a couple of times where Barrios did manage to catch uh, Thurman off guard for just a second. Never capitalized on that. Thurman looked decent. Looked pretty good for the you know for someone who's been out of the ring for two and a half months. His right hand looked good. He was countering well. He was moving around the ring well enough. Uh, Barrios uh, just really did not look good here. Failed to attack the body. Don't know what he was thinking. He was not really doing anything that was going to hurt Keith Thurman. He was essentially playing into Keith Thurman's hands without Thurman doing anything. But still, Thurman looked pretty good given his long layoff and... You know, heading into the fight, physically, Thurman looked in spectacular shape. He even kind of went uh, like almost a pound and a half below the welterweight limit. Just to kind of prove a point that he really is back. And, you know, th this was a fight that Thurman needed to shake off the ring rust. He did. And looked well enough to the point where people can can seriously think, you know, how does he fare against what uh, the the rest of the welterweight champions right now? I'm still not fully convinced he beats 
any of them, but he did well enough to where I would like to see how Thurman does fare against the other welterweight champions, against a Jordanis Ugas or a Errol Spence or a Terrence Crawford. What do you think, Robert? Uh, he uh, he proved that he can still fight, but he's got no shot in the world against Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, or Boots Ennis. I don't think he beats Ugas. Uh, he better he better fight one of those guys next, cause he could easily slip and get beat by a young up and coming contender. So he needs to not play around. Uh, PBC needs to have him fight Crawford next. It's 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 a it's a it's a sexy matchup, and Crawford's got nobody lined up. Make that fight, make that fight. Or you don't have to sign, but to a a big deal, just maybe a promise of you 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 get the winner of Spence Ugas after you fight uh Thurman. Thurman better fight one of those guys next, cause uh he runs into the wrong up and coming hungry young fighter setback and at his age. He doesn't need that. I agree with you, Carlos. He doesn't beat any of the aforementioned names. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say that it's not to say that Thurman can't beat any of them, but let but I look at it at this. If this Thurman right now had fought any of those three guys, I think Thurman would go over three. I think that there I think there were opportunities for Barrios yeah, to hurt. And and, and oh for four if you throw Boots and his name in there. Uh uh, Keith Thurman's past his prime. A prime Keith Thurman would have trouble beating these four guys. Never mind the guy you see now. And his power is gone. Uh, he's no longer one-time Keith Thurman. He's no-time Keith Thurman. It, it's very strange now looking at this version of Keith Thurman. Because, ba- let's be honest, his peak was, you know, the or not necessarily his peak, but at his highest point where he dominated the division was six years ago. That was when he went in his 20s. Now he's in his 30s. Yeah. And well, his, prime, his, his prime was when he beat uh, Porter and Garcia. Yeah. Right? That, that's what you would call it. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was, was like five, six years ago. Mid, mid to late 20s. So, uh, and even even that guy, as good as he was, borderline great, didn't come close to knocking out Porter or Garcia. No, no. I mean, the the Porter fight was a very close fight. the the Danny yep. Gar- the, the Garcia fight was. I'd say the the scores did not do. Oh, uh, he won. He won both. He won both those fights. They. they I mean, they, they, if if uh Porter would have gotten that decision, that would have been a robbery. Thurman out outboxed and outpunched Porter. You know, Porter's tough for everybody. Yeah, he gives everybody hell. But, but the Danny Garcia Thurman, fight, how I, Thurman you know, that ended in a split fight. decision. So it kind of leads to people to think, oh man, this was very competitive. I'm like, no, no, it nah, wasn't. It, that Thurman was out. A, that was a, yeah, that was a bad scorecard. Thurman clearly won both fights, and that was his prime peak. That was when, man, we got to see Thurman versus Spence. Then, inexplicably, he gave up one of his titles. He disappeared. I believe Carlos. That he was ducking Spence, and then he well, sat he, on his couch. Yeah. Well, he had. Years. Well, he. Well, he at first he had the elbow surgery, which took him out for yeah, the rest but I of mean, the year. He's, but he still what didn't fight for three years? Well, what was, what was the excuse for the other two years? Yeah, that 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 one I can't I can't <laughs> tell you. He was out of the ring for twenty two months. I don't know. What it was ridiculous. I don't. I don't understand. Comes back, uh, almost gets knocked out in his in his first fight back, and. 
totally gets dominated by a past his prime Manny Pacquiao. He even gets dropped in that fight and hurt in the final round. I Thurman's past his prime. He will shine against the Mario Barrioses, Adrian Broners of the world. But can he beat the upper echelon at 147 pounds? No. No, he's not that he's not that one time anymore. He's not that beautiful boxer puncher that uh was on the cuffs of being an all-time great 147 pounder. No. That has passed him by. You're not getting that back at 147. We've talked about it since we started this podcast. I've been talking about this since I was a little kid with my father years ago. To be the man at 147 pounds, you have to be special. Thurman almost got there. That ship that that ship has sailed. All he can do now is try and get one or two big money fights before he gets to the sunset. And um, to me, Crawford's the ideal opponent. Make it happen. You, know, I don't want to see Thurman headlining another pay per view card against a guy who has no shot in beating him. The problem with a Thurman fight with a Crawford fight is that it's not, not that it's not doable, but the problem is Crawford's in court right now dealing with top rank. And yeah, but Crawford eventually's got to fight. Forget that court thing. I mean, how long before there's even a hearing? Or, 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 or but we're not even we're not even at that point yet. We're not even all right. We have any, it's that, look, we're I don't, still I don't early enough it, to where it's going to where we haven't even hit discovery. It, and right, you know, so if it hits discovery, and that could take months. Doesn't have to work. You sign a fight with 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 with, with, with uh, Thurman, train and and worry about that after the fact because it's going to take months before anything comes to light, right? Uh, you know, depending on you know how this goes. I mean, again, discovery will take a, can take a very very long time, right? Especially well, dealing with so? how many people they're going to have to depose for something like this. It's already been a few months since he knocked out uh, Sean Porter. Uh, let's get somebody in the ring with Terrence Crawford. Uh, the, the, this lawsuit shouldn't be an excuse to keep him out of the ring because, like Carlos just said, it'll be months before you even see any type of action. So come on. Yeah, I mean. And a lawsuit shouldn't affect uh, the psyche of one of the greatest fighters of the last 15 or 20 years. It shouldn't. Yeah, and it's not because he's got a chip on his shoulder. Hell no, it's not going to affect him. This is a guy that got shot, and less than six months later came in, went in the ring and dominated. So if he can overcome a gunshot that almost killed him, he he, uh, him suing uh, a a group of old men that he felt wronged him is not going to bother him. Yeah, it's. You know, it's funny. It's, it's, I want to see Crawford versus Thurman because I think that's the natural yeah. fight to make it's next and win their fight. fight. It's the sexiest fight for Crawford right now outside of a boot sentence. But I'll be, I, 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 I will uh, agree with you on this. Crawford-Thurman is a sexier matchup than Crawford-Boots because Boots, even though we know how incredibly talented he is, he's still unproven. Thurman is a former unified champion who's fought almost every who's fought everybody but Spencer Crawford. So make that match. Yeah, and you know, and 
And uh, my opinion right now, I don't think there's any chance in hell Crawford takes a fight against Boots Ennis if he can help it. Because, no, no. Because, because Boots, Jerron Ennis, make... look, I think Jerron Ennis is the future, and I think he's going to be a welterweight champion for many years to come, maybe, maybe even a 154 maybe, champion, maybe, but he doesn't have anything to offer yeah, at the table. Yeah, Nothing tangible yeah. to no. offer. It, it, uh, the, the best match and the most lucrative match for Crawford right now that's available to him is Keith Thurman. Yeah. Who else in that? Who else in that? Virgil Ortiz is not going to have the buzz. I mean, it's the it's same, a he's better... in the same situation as Jerron Ennis, where yeah, they're both going. They're both great uh, up and coming fighters at welterweight, but neither of them have a title, and neither of them are mandatories for any one belt. So they're, they're, it's a they're, high they're, risk, they're, low they're reward title, situation. Their title shots to come, but right now the old guard has to clear out, and so. Crawford should fight Thurman. This is like you. Same situation with 115 with, with Bam Rodriguez and the other uh, uh, guys. Get these guys together. Fight them. Um, you got Spence Ugas. And please, we got to get Spence to fight Crawford before he moves up to 154 because you know, that's what, right, you're hearing, Carlos, is that Spence is anticipating move up to 154 within the next year. He thought about it. He's mentioned it in the past. And look, Spence, physically enough, his frame is, you know, one that can go for 154 pounds relatively easily. Easy, easy. Yeah. So he's mentioned it in in the past. He's mentioned it. So I wouldn't doubt if, I mean, I'll tell you this. If Spence... After Spence fights Ugas, let's pretend for one second Spence beats Ugas. After Thurman and Terrence Crawford, there is nothing that for Errol Spence as far as what attracts him and what makes him interested in staying at one fifty one forty seven. I mean, the the only thing that after. Let's assume he beats Ugas. The only thing left for him to do at 147 is to fight Crawford. That's it. Yeah. And even then, even right now, it's not a guarantee. So, if you're Errol Spence, do you want to deal with the headache that comes with negotiating a fight with Terrence Crawford? Or do you want to go to 154? But if it would... Carlos, let me ask you a question. This is what I believe. Let me, t- let me, let me ask you what you believe. I believe that in a negotiation with Spence and Crawford, Spence would have the upper hand. He the, um, he'd be the the promotion that will promote the fight. PBC. He's a PBC fighter. He'll have three of the belts. Uh, Crawford leg. Crawford wants to add to his legacy. Spence. He he doesn't have to fight Crawford. He could just say, "All right, I'm giving up these titles and move up." Uh, Crawford would have to bend in order to make that fight. Spence would have the advantage at the negotiation table. Uh, so uh, Crawford would have to take less to fight uh, a Spence, and I don't blame him. It'd still be a nice amount of money. But uh, what do you think? What do you think? You think that would be the scenario, right? That I, That's what I – first of all, yeah. that's what I would think. And he, But the yeah. problem is I don't think Crawford is willing to sort of make a name himself the B-side. Because he doesn't want to be considered, even heading into the fight, inferior to to. Some, you know what? 
sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to do it in order to take your career to that next level because this is a legacy fight. But at uh, the same time, you know, there's also, you also got to ask this: yeah. How badly does does Crawford want this fight? You know, in the past, he said he feels like his legacy already said he's been undisputed at 140. He's won titles at three different weight classes. He's beaten some very good you, guys. You, you, you and I both know that to dominate at 147 trumps all of that. To be an all-time great fighter at 147, there's only two divisions in the history of boxing that can say, one definitely, that they're to dominate at their division is more lucrative at 147. That is middleweight and heavyweight. Middleweight and heavyweight, yes. You have to have beaten the men that beaten the men. Look at all the great middleweights, Bernard Hopkins, Carlos Monzon, Marvin Hagler, Sugar Ray Robinson, etc. Heavyweight, long line. Welterweight, long line. No. Being an undisputed champion at 140 does not trump beating all the best fighters at 147. Never has, never will. I, I agree. Love Aaron I Pryor. agree. It doesn't, Aaron but it doesn't Pryor mean is that one of the greatest fighters in the history of the sport. He never got that fight against Sugar Ray Leonard one forty seven, and it affected his legacy. I agree, but does Crawford agree? That's the problem. No, I, I, don't, think, not, I don't think. For, as far as we what? know, Crawford may think he's already an all time great, so it doesn't feel like he may need the fight against. Well, Spence. I agree that he's an all time great, but to complete his legacy, to put him up there. As one of the all-time greats, he's got to beat the man at 147. The man is Errol Spence. Regardless of who Crawford has beaten, Errol Spence's resume at 147 destroys Terrence Crawford's resume. In order for Crawford to overcome that, he has to beat and fight Errol Spence, period. Here's another. Even, Even if he doesn't agree with that, and I agree with you, Carlos, I think he thinks, you know, you know, I've been undisputed champion at 140. Uh, I'm better than Spence in my mind. I don't have to fight Spence. I don't like, I, I don't like that attitude. But I understand where it's coming from. I think it's warped. Uh, let's, uh, man, I'm tired of talking about a fight that for three years now people have been anticipating, and it's not as, still not as close, still not close to happening. <laughs> Here's another way you can sort of maybe do this. You could have, let's assume, let's keep it in a scenario uh, that Spence beats Ugas. And then the, and for hypothetical say, I think this also applies if Ugas beats Spence. I think you could have the loser fight Crawford and the winner fight Thurman and have the, the winners of both fights fight each I other. Like that. I like that scenario too. Uh, Keith Thurman's been ducking Errol Spence for years. I don't see. I think Keith Thurman had to fight Bud Crawford and Errol Spence. Yeah. For some reason, he won't fight Errol Spence. It, it, uh, I love the scenario of the winner fighting Keith Thurman. If the winner's uh, your Dana Sugas, yeah, I think uh, Thurman would jump in a heartbeat. If the winner is Errol Spence, uh, Keith might be asking Al Heyman to call. Uh, Bud Crawford to try to make a deal. Now, and it's not like they can't do it. Remember, Bud and Sean Porter were able to make a deal. I know it was through top rank. I think PBC could find a way to do a one-fight deal with Crawford and Thurman because in that situation, Crawford would get more money than Keith Thurman. Now, the one thing that they also, in this scenario, that they would have to sort of consider, I guess in every scenario, you would have to consider this possibility, is that 
at the end of all this, it's possible that the winner may not technically be undisputed because there's WBA mandatories uh, due. And Spence versus Ugas is made because Amanda Stanionis agreed to step aside. I don't know how much longer Stanionis is going to want to step aside uh, after Spence and Ugas fight on April. Well, you could you uh, you could have uh, uh, the winner fight Stanionis because I don't think Stanionis has a a shot in hell against either fighter. So yeah, yeah. you could make uh, that unless, fight. Unless what you could also yeah. do is maybe you could have Stanionis fight Rashad Butaev in the title eliminator. You could also do that. Yeah, you could do that too. You could do that too. But will, will Stanionis people take that chance? Knowing that they guarantee the title shot if they just put him in the ring with anybody. Yeah, it it, it depends. It, there's a lot of different moving factors they have to consider. And I think the next step is sort of wait what happens when Spence fights Ugas on April 16th. Because, you know. Hey, do you have a complete card for April 16th? No, not yet. In fact, this the fight was announced April 16th at AT&T Stadium in Texas. We don't even know the platform. We don't even know if it's uh, a PC. That's a pay-per-view fight, man. Come on. Well, we don't know if it's going to be Showtime or Fox that's going to be handled. But it's still it's going to be a pay-per-view fight. I, you know, and it's probably going to be Showtime. Yes, I think it's going to be Showtime pay-per-view because right in the last six months, the major PBC pay-per-views have been on Showtime, while the minor league stuff has been on Fox pay-per-view. I mean, you can make an argument because of that, that Fox would uh, get it because PBC wants to throw Fox a bone and give them a guy like Spence uh, as a pay-per-view. I don't know. There's yeah, because a- wasn't was it Cadello supposed to be a Fox pay-per-view and then it became a Showtime pay-per-view? I don't think that it, I don't think it was ever, like, meant to be a Fox pay-per-view. I think we all just assumed it was a right, Fox right, pay-per-view. Right. But I think at the time, uh, Showtime decided to try to bid for... Uh, for to get that fine, they ultimately did, and I think this is a similar situation where Fox and Showtime are kind of now battling out to see which fight gets this one. I think it's a similar situation to Jamel Charla versus Brian Castaño. That still technically does not have a network home. That's not a Showtime card, a regular Showtime. All, when this fight was announced, all it said is this is a PBC card. No network was announced. What date is the fight? It's in March. Got- and no network. We're talking a month away, and no network has been announced. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, what March nineteenth. What are they doing over there? I don't know. I I I, I have no I, I idea. I mean, the first We're fight took place away. on Showtime, so yeah, yeah. So I I, I don't know. I also I also think they might have to sort of. They're also considering. And weighing in the options for both Showtime and Fox of the possibility of Canelo fighting in May. Because, you know, the, a fight against between Canelo and Jamal Charlo is still... And in fact, right now, I would say that's the favorite. That's the fav- uh, the odds-on favorite for Canelo's next fight, Jamal Charlo in May. That's going to be a pay-per-view. So, But we don't know if it's going to be Fox or Showtime. Well, e- either way, people are going to have to pay out their pocket. Uh, so uh, either way... I mean, it, the only reason I want it on Showtime pay-per-view is because the following week it will air on show, regular Showtime, while Fox pay-per-views 
you got to wait three, four months before they show it for free on, on television. Showtime shows it the following week. That's why I favor the Showtime pay-per-view over Fox pay-per-view. Uh, and plus, the Showtime announcing team is the better announcing team as well. So those are the two reasons why I'm, I'm hoping that uh, Ugas versus Spence is on Showtime pay-per-view. Because those who missed the pay-per-view, the following week, they see it on Showtime without having to uh, go through illegal means to watch the replay. You wait a week while Fox, man, uh, they still haven't shown the Luis Ortiz uh, Charles Martin fight on, on Fox. We're in the middle of February. <laughs> so the rest of so going back to Thurman versus Barrios, the rest of the pay per view was. It was good enough. It, it was pretty solid, and even the TV undercards was actually, I would say, great. Uh, Tof- and talk about the talk about the Jesus Ramos performance. I was very impressed by him. Yes. Yeah, so the second fight of the pay per view, Jesus Ramos versus Vladimir Hernandez. Ramos took another positive step in his progression. Stops Vladimir Hernandez in the sixth round. Just completely just. Stuns with a uh, Hernandez with a tremendous right hand and that just stops him standing. Ramos, this who I had as my prospect of the year last year, is looking every bit the part of a rising contender at 154 pounds. He's been on a roll for the last year or so, beating Javier Molina, Brian Mendoza, yep. and now Vladimir Hernandez. And Ramos, at only 20 years old, is yep. primed to be a real player at 154 pounds within a year or so. Talk about the youthful talent and landscape, 154 pounds right now with Isuks Ramos, Tim Zoo, etc. Yeah, I mean, those guys are looking are, are fantastic. Uh, Israel Madrimov is also another guy. Uh, yep. Going on the international side, Madrimov, uh, Magomed Korbanov, Kor- uh, they're both 26 years old. Uh, Sebastian Fundora, who uh-huh. is 24 years old. Erickson Lubin looking great. That uh, you know he's 26 years old. Uh, yep. Has Ramos who's 20. Charles Conwell, who's still uh, who's only oh, 24 man, I years totally old. Forgot, I totally forgot about him. Mid 154 pound division. Uh, in my lifetime, I've never seen so many young and upcoming and potential great fighters at 154 at the same time it's i've said this for many years 154 154 has been the division that has churned out star after star on a regular basis and there's so many great young up-and-coming fighters you can and like you can make a top 10 uh, out of the out of fighters at 154 under uh, age 27 or below, and it would yep. still come out to be a fantastic division. Just all around action fights left and right. And if Spence moves up to 154, he's got all these young tigers he'd eventually have to deal with at least three or four of them. Uh, man, 154's future is incredible. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm I'm very, very... You know what you're sad? Uh Because 160 is horrible right now. And 154, you have all... Where is... Other than Zan Desires, where is the great talent at 160? 
I don't know. And Miguel and Sanders technically not even 160 now. We project him to end up being 160 pounds. By the time he fills out, he's 160. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not long for 154. That kid, like I said before, he'll be a a legit middleweight champion within the next 18 months to two years. Uh, But uh, 154? 154 is the land of the... uh, Geezers, the old geezers. Well, one fifty four, man, youthful exuberance left and right. Now the rest of the pay per view was featured Leo Santa Cruz and his first fight since losing to Javante Davis uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, gets a uh, ten round decision against a tougher than you know projected Keenan Carbajal, but it was very one sided. Not a super thrilling fight, aside from a potential drama with a cut on Santa Cruz's right eyelid, but that ultimately ended up not playing much of a role in the final decision. And then lastly. Luis Neri versus Carlos Castro in the pay-per-view opener, which was a phenomenal uh, fight. Very, very good fight. Neri showing dimensions he had previously never really shown. He was a boxer for most of this one, just looking really good, just uh, punching and fighting off the back foot, which is something he had never really done before. He was really more aggressive and more of a knockout artist and a power puncher, but... Right. This was a this was a different Luis Neri, and there had been some concerns about whether or not he'd be able to. He was going to make weight this week. Turns out he made weight just fine, and he beat a very young and very talented Carlos Castro, who I think a lot of us, including myself, had thought that maybe that Castro stood a great we, chance of beating Neri. We both predicted Castro would win, and he almost came from behind and won. But uh, uh, kudos to Neri; he pulled it out. His biggest win, in my opinion, is moving up to 122. Uh, that being said, he he has no shot against Stephen Fulton. But I think he's, he's certainly earned the right to be heading towards a title shot. I'm not saying he's going to not, get that. Not, not over, not over, not over Daniel Roman. Not over Daniel Roman. I agree. I agree. Daniel Roman has and been that, waiting for a above, title shot for that, a long time. Not above Brandon Figueroa. Figueroa Roman deserved title shots before Neri. Neri gets one win, and I can't. Oh, oh he, well, he well, up, no. we don't know. Yeah. Well, there's a good chance Brandon Figueroa is going to move up to 126 pounds. So, all right. Well, then, uh, then, oh, okay. Well, Neri, Neri has to wait his turn because it's criminal that Daniel Roman has not received another title shot since barely losing a fight that I thought he won when he lost his title. Yeah, he certainly has waited long enough, and I hope he gets into the ring soon enough. He hasn't been in action since May of 2021, so yeah, but he should fight Fulton next. What? What? What's the? What's the? Has, what? What's the holdup on it? I know he wants to fight. I mean, and I, Fulton ducks nobody. That should be the next fight. Easy to make. I agree. I agree. That should be the next fight. Hopefully, it gets done. Yeah, relatively soon. The TV prelims for Thurman Barrios. As far as Fox Television is concerned, BBC on Fox Television, not got the pay-per-view. That two-hour block for the prelims was maybe one of the best two hours of boxing television BBC has done in a very long time on Fox. It was the best BBC on Fox card 
since the pandemic yep. began. Yep. Two yep. excellent, and I do mean excellent, fights on that uh, on television. The first one was Omar Juarez versus Ryan Carl. Juarez wins a split decision victory, dominates Ryan Carl in the first half of the fight. Then Carl just manages to amount a furious comeback. Both guys were throwing tons of punches at each other. Juarez, all action fight. Juarez took a step back because you should not allow a career jobber in Ryan Carl to put you through life and death. Juarez uh, has a lot has a lot to be desired. I mean, he has a lot less to be desired after this fight. His defense is putrid. Brian Carl, second half of the fight, Carlos, like you said, landed at will. And they're fighting toe-to-toe. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Brian Carl is a career jobber. He's a jobber to the stars. Juarez has a lot to work on defensively. Very, very deficient defensively. Yeah. Yeah. He does need it, but you know. Because think about look in his defense, he's only twenty-two years record. old. He can see he's still got the, to develop a little. Yeah, bit. but you know what? We see a lot of bad habits with these twenty-two-year-old uh, aggressive fighters. We saw it with the Figueroa brothers, Omar and now Brandon, where they're leading face first, and rarely do they get better. They they, they continue to be more and more of a brawler. Uh, Worried about Juarez because look at Ryan Carl's record. He doesn't. He, he's never competitive in these fights. In this fight, he almost won. Would have been an early contender for upset of the year. <laughs> but you know, but it did ultimately turn on to what was a very good, very, very yeah. good uh, and fun yeah. fight to watch. The other fight on the card on that TV prelim card was. Uh, I don't know why I'm blanking out. Abel Ramos versus Luke Santa Maria. I don't know why I blanked out for a second. Luke Santa Maria gets a 10-round decision victory. Almost a similar situation to the first fight where Ramos looked good early and then Santa Maria just completely dominated the rest of the fight forward. Okay, maybe not dominate, but he did outwork and outland and outbox Ramos for uh, the second half of the fight. It was very, very close. Scores were 96-94, 96-94, 98-92. Mm-hmm. Santa Maria been in some... His career yep. has been a very unique one in the sense that a lot of his wins... Uh, some of his more high-profile wins and his high-profile losses and draws were decisions that you can argue should have gone yep. the other way. And yep. this one, yep. Santa Maria got the benefit of the judges' scorecards and... This is another very, very good fight at uh, at 147 pounds. I don't understand how you how this was billed as a. It's funny. This was it kind of was, but it wasn't billed as a WBC title eliminator. This is very weird, but you know, it's not like anyone. Santa Maria is sniffing a title shot within a year, or even two years, or even three years, but this was a, a step in the right direction for Santa Maria, beating a an established veteran like Enable Ramos, who went toe-to-toe with your Dennis Ugas, ju- yep. you know, less than 18 months ago. I like that this was a very, very good win for Santa Maria. 
You know what, Carlos? You remember the criticism with PBC years ago was, oh, too many one-sided uh, main events. You know, with, with, with Errol Spence, when he was coming up, he was obliterating all his opponents. Uh, the Charlo brothers were obliterating all their opponents. Uh, coming up, Julian uh, Williams was obliterating. PBC main events, people were complaining, oh, they're finding soft touches. In the last two to three years, that is no longer the case. The matchmaking uh, has has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, what? I mean, I I love it. You got guys like we. You mentioned uh, Vladby Hernandez earlier, uh, Santa Maria, uh, Caleb Truex, when he became a a, a a super middleweight champion for a brief cup of coffee. You have these fighters that, on a, on any given day, they could pull up pull off an upset. I love what I'm seeing. The last two three years with with the PBC main events uh, on Fox, they, they, they whether it's Fox Sports One, etc., they it's no longer a gimme as we saw from these two fights. Yeah, yeah, this was a the the matchmaking has been great. This the you know, I would say top to bottom, the card. Was including even the non-TV cards, which were ultimately shown on YouTube. This was a very good card. Now you can argue uh, right now whether or not whether the top four fights were worth seventy-five dollars. That's a completely separate conversation. But overall, the show was pretty good for the most part. I got I got to give uh, Fox credit. I mean, I know no one's buying these pay-per-views, but uh, the Lewis Ortiz Charles Martin card was a, a intriguing and exciting card and the Thurman Barrios card was an intriguing and exciting card. I mean, they're putting out quality cards on pay-per-view, but no one's asking for these cards. So these in a in in a in a correct world, in a perfect world, these should have been PBC on Fox cards and I, the ratings would have been much better. I know people say, oh, you pay-per-view, you get more money. But do you? I, how much more money are these guys getting for 50,000 buys after the promotion puts their hands in what is definitely not a profit? It, this can't be profitable. I don't know. I, I, you know I'm not in a position right now to say whether or not they, the it, it makes financial sense, but it's been working for BBC for a long time. It, it, it has been. Um, yeah, but they just started doing these Fox on pay per view cards with a uh, with, with with a less than stellar main events face. I mean, publicity wise, public or oh, uh, of a being sexy. I mean, remember? I mean, just a few years ago, we were getting top notch welterweight fights on one for uh, at, uh, on PBC on Fox, not pay per view. Now, I mean. You said it from the get-go. Keith Thurman versus Mario Barrios. That's not a pay-per-view made event in any sense of the word. Now, before we kind of move on to just discussing the lone major card uh, of this weekend, it's really just a brief one talking about the main event, Daniel Jacobs versus John Ryder over there in the UK on The Zone. Yeah, there's uh, not a whole ton of news to sort of get into, but there's a couple. Uh, The... Uh, first of all, um, I want to uh, wish uh, Robert Easter Jr. A, a full recovery after he uh, he, uh, he got shot. 
Uh, he's okay. He's okay. I mean, I saw pictures of him today on social media. He's up. He's uh, he's awake. He's 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 very very lucid. Thank God. Thank God. Well, uh, explain to the to the listeners exactly what happened to Robert. Essentially, uh, in Ohio, uh, he was unfortunately uh, shot as the result of an armed robbery that he was. You know, now now Carlos, you live in Ohio. You live in Ohio, Carlos. This was Cincinnati, right? This was. Uh, I think this is actually. I know it's from Toledo, but I think the incident occurred in Cincinnati. He was shot. Yes, yeah, 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 you're right. He, it was shot. It was. Uh, it was. He was shot in Cincinnati, uh, but the, uh, it was a news station in Toledo that first reported it. If I yeah, uh, because he he's a Toledo native. That's yes. why he he's one of the biggest. Athletes to come out of Toledo in the last 10, 15 years. So it would only make sense that they would report it. I mean, uh, in Cincinnati, if it was uh, Adrian Broner, it would have been a different story. Him being probably the biggest fighter to come out of Cincinnati in the last 10, 15 years. But yeah, it makes sense that a Toledo uh, a TV station and newspaper would, would be the first to report it. Yeah. And so he, Robert uh, was shot three times, underwent surgery on Monday to remove the bullet fragments. He's expected to be okay. There was a picture yeah. by, uh, by Michael Fox uh, on Twitter that I retweeted that showed, you know, Robert, you know, out of surgery, smiling, uh, you know, given, given not, not a thumbs up, but basically motioning with, you know, that he's gonna be okay, so that's great now, was, to hear. Was this, was, was this an arm? What 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 caused him to get shot? Uh, was this a robbery going awry? So he was confronted by a group of people who demanded money, okay, and he, according to reports, he ran and he was shot three times. It don't think the reports mentioned anything about where he got shot but i mean i i tweeted i, I retweeted the the picture on on my twitter at call of toro media and you can kind of see where uh, you can kind of sort of tell where he got shot that there was there was bandages and gauze you know on his uh right yeah. shoulder yep so that you know but, but i don't know if he got college. shot in another place it's damn if you do and damn if you don't. He tried to flee the situation. He fled the situation and he got shot and almost killed. Uh, 13, almost 13 years ago, Vernon Forrest was in a similar situation and he confronted the guy and the guy shot him to death. I mean, damn. I mean, it's just sad. I'm glad the young man will be okay. I like Robert Easter. Carlos, you've interviewed him. You're both live in Ohio. Uh, I've heard nothing but great things about his uh, personality and how nice of a guy he is. You would know better than than me being from uh, being that you're a resident of Ohio right now. And I'm sure you've spoken to him on a few occasions, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, all my interactions with Robert has been has been pretty good. You know, nothing. I got nothing bad to say to to Robert. And he certainly accomplished a lot. Lightweight world champions headline Mm -hmm. a couple of big shows had that big Mm -hmm. Uh, main event uh, lightweight unification against Mikey Garcia at the Staples Center. You know that's still a that's still a, a great memory uh, mm-hmm. for uh, for my career covering uh, boxing. I still have the 
the press credentials of a and and while while Mikey definitely won that fight, Easter gave it all and gave Garcia problems in that fight. Now that was a very good fight. I agree. I, I really agree. So yeah, so wishing him nothing but but the best and a full recovery and everything that I'm reading, everything that I'm seeing seems to indicate he'll be he is expected to be okay. Not gonna be in any, you know, life threatening situation so i you know wishing him no, uh, nothing but the but the best so really not a whole lot of other news unless robert you have a question for me now nah, let's go straight to the one uh interesting fight we have this weekend so we got daniel jacobs versus john Ryder in a super middleweight Find the WBA title eliminator. Uh, no indication of whether that's for Canelo Alvarez's WBA title or David Morrell Jr.'s WBA title. I have no idea. I uh, honestly, it's fifty-fifty on on which of them, uh, uh, which title this is eliminated for. But regardless, this is a this is the perfect definition of a crossroads fight. Jacobs is past his prime, I believe, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I has agree. not looked has not looked spectacular in a very very long time. Last time you could say he looked pretty good was the win against Sergey Derevianchenko back in 2018. That was that's four the years last. Ago. That's the that's the last time he looked like the Danny Jacobs we remember. Since then, he lost to Canelo Alvarez in a fight that on the scorecards made the made it seem like the fight was competitive. It was not. After that, uh, there was the that uh, fight. I don't know what the that that's that's the only occasion I've seen in Canelo's career where judges uh, didn't give him the benefit of doubt in several rounds that he clearly won. <laughs> yeah. So the after that, there was the uh, just the bizarre fight against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. that uh, Chavez quit. Well, he was fighting. He was fighting a punching bag. So I don't even consider that. A, a legit fight because uh, uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. mentally, physically was not there that night. Uh, that fight should have never been made. And of course, the, the his stinker. God, oh, the, against one of the best action of uh, action fighters of the last decade, I never thought this guy could ever be in a bad fight. This is one of the worst fights in the history of of, of the zone. It was horrible. Yep, the stinker against Gabe Rosado in November of 2020. That was his last fight. Uh, ended in a split decision. It was, you know, you can argue, and you can argue that Rosado won, but in actuality, no one won this fight. This Nobody won because it was two guys looking in the mirror for 12 rounds. It, it, it was that after it was being billed as this blood feud that that these guys couldn't stop. Uh, thinking about just ripping each other apart, and these guys couldn't be any more tepid once they actually step into the ring. Now he's got one last shot. I would say one last shot at uh, at glory and making himself relevant as a title contender against John Ryder, who's been on his own bizarre path to this point. He yep. lost yep. to Count Smith uh, back in 2019 in a fight that I that I personally thought he John got Ryder robbed. won. That was a highway robbery. He won that fight. They <sighs> that fight they that him. that decision uh-huh. altered the course of Callum Smith and John Ryder's careers because Callum 
would go on to fight Canelo Alvarez afterwards yep. a year later. And then John Ryder has been stuck fighting on, you know, undercards of different, uh, you know, of not exactly super shows. He fought on the undercard of a Triple G fight, but Ryder versus my guy was low, low on the card. And then after that, he fought Joseph Jurko in Austria on the undercard of a Philip Hergovich squash match. It's been no momentum for John Ryder. And then all of a sudden, he gets put into this main event against Danny Jacobs in the UK. Whoever wins this fight can at least keep himself in the conversation for, you know, if titles get vacated, winner could potentially fight for one of those, or at least keep himself in good main event fights. The loser... It's probably uh, it's probably going to be kissing their title aspirations goodbye. This really is a this really does feel like a last stand fight for mm-hmm. both of these guys to remain relevant mm-hmm. in a busy 168 pound division. I agree 100. percent This is your proverbial loser leave town match. Loser leaves town. Um, the loser is an opponent is a is going to be a name. On prospects and upcoming contenders' records, uh, the winner will be uh, still in the hunt for a title shot or a title. Uh, the loser's done. The loser will just have to be satisfied with becoming a gatekeeper slash opponent to uh, put on somebody's record. Oh, uh, uh, I need I need a win at 168. Uh, by the way, uh, David Lemieux after he gets destroyed <laughs> by Benavides will be joining the loser as a, a, a gatekeeper to a, the 168 opponent, 168 pounds. Yeah, I mean, look, Jacobs is not the power puncher that uh, that he was back in the day. And I think to some extent, the, his incredibly high knockout ratio pre-Golovkin kind of got some people to think that Jacobs was this just incredible knockout yeah. artist. It he really knocked wasn't. out a bunch. He knocked out a bunch of stiffs. All right, let's be honest. All right, uh, the biggest knockout win of his career was against Peter Quillen. Shocking first round knockout win. I didn't think it would go that quick. I thought Jacobs would win, but not first round. Uh, if you look at his career, that that's the most impressive knockout uh, uh, of his career. I, I right. I mean. Think about it. I mean, like, the, the only ones that you could argue were sort of in that conversation, you know, was, you know, Caleb Truax and Sergio Mora, but that's about it. Uh, those, those guys are journeymen. No, I'm talking about a... a well, Truax a was, that that was, was seven years ago. That was, you know... Yeah, but he was never considered... I mean, you know, I know he's got that fluke title uh, 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 win, but uh, and Sergio Mora... Sergio Mora was nothing more than a, 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 a step above a club fighter, a journeyman... In his own right. Uh, and same thing with Truax. His one great KO win over a world-class fighter was Peter Quillen. And Peter Quillen has never been the same since uh, Jacobs blasted him out in the first round. That's it. I mean, uh, the Devervichenko win was a very impressive win. That went the distance. Uh, he gave Golovkin hell. He uh, Jacobs gave Triple G hell. That was up until the Canelo fights, Triple G's toughest fight. Uh Jacobs 
Jacob showed the world how you could beat a Triple G when he recovered from that knockdown. He began boxing from the outside behind a nice left jab. But that's not the Danny Jacobs that's going to be fighting Saturday night. That's the, the, the that's long gone. Yeah, uh, and, and this fight, you know, and that was in my I had a a six six fight plus the knockdown, so that really changed kind of everything. The, 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 the scorecards were ridiculous that night because they had uh, Triple G winning by wide margins. That fight was a close fight. That fight could have gone either way. There were several rounds in that fight that could have gone either way. You could have made a point for either guy winning that fight. That was not a clear-cut decision win. Uh, that's not the Danny Jacobs that's fighting anymore. The Danny Jacobs that you will see Saturday night is a shell of his former self. He's a safety-first fighter. Ryder could win if Ryder applies the pressure, but Ryder also has become a safety-first fighter. I'm predicting a stinker, a fight that you'll fall asleep and have to see the zone replay three hours later when you wake up. I'll say this. I'm going to predict John Ryder wins the decision, and I'm going to be a little more optimistic. I think this is a scenario where both of these guys are desperate enough to try and press a little forward, and I think this is a fight that they could potentially bring out whatever is considered the best at this stage in their respective careers out of each other. Both their careers are on the line, so we will see. I just don't know how much uh, in the gas tank Danny Jacobs has left because, you know, his fight against Chavez Jr., he was fighting a mummy, so you can't count that. He looked horrible against Gabe Rosado. Um, he fought very timid, and he, that that uh, Danny Jacobs, you have a beautiful left jab. That jab is gone. What happened to that left jab? I, I, I don't understand it. I, I, I don't. Um, well, we'll see. Uh, uh, <laughs> he hasn't been the same since he lost to Canelo, to be honest with you. It really hasn't. He, he really, yeah. really hasn't. All right, Robert, where can the good people read your work and find you on Twitter? Twitter, my handle is robertsilva5768. Uh, the parent website of this podcast, fightgamemedia.com. I'm currently doing my 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years series. Um, man, I didn't know this article would take so long. I'm still not finished writing on my 21st greatest fighter of the last 45 years, Felix Trinidad. I'm finally up to when he fights Bernard Hopkins. So yeah, I'm hoping tomorrow I can finally get this shit done. I mean, this is a detailed. Uh, people forget how great of a career Felix Trinidad's had. So you could look forward to seeing that in the coming week. You can also find me on Twitter at Carlos Toro Media. And that'll do it for this episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. He's Robert Silva. I'm Carlos Toro. And we'll see you next week to recap another week of boxing here on the Fight Game Media Network. Enjoy the weekend, everyone. We'll see you in the next one.